Hey, this is Ted Brzezelski. Uh, we're going to have another edition of Words and Work. Uh, today I'm going to be talking to Tom Zellner, a uh, one-time Tucsonan. Uh, he's in Southern California now. He's written several books. He used to write for the uh, Arizona Republic. His current book is called The National Road, which is a series of essays about, about our country. Um, he's going to talk a lot about geography and uh, recent political and economic history. Uh, the interview went along, so I am actually going to uh, have two bits of, of our conversation as bonus episodes over the week. Uh, for those of you who want to check out our web page, um, and uh, it'll be they'll be posted on there, uh, Anchor FM uh, slash Ted Prozelski. Um, the um, so let me go ahead and get on here. I've I've known Tom for a long time. That's kind of why the back and forth worked the way it did. Um, but like I said, check over the week uh, on our webpage, and we'll uh, we'll have those two pieces that I, I couldn't include, uh, plus uh, part of our conversation with uh, Greg Evans last week. I will be posting as well. So thank you very much. All right, Tom. Thank you for joining me. Um, so uh, first of all, I want I want to talk to you about your. You, I mean, you grew up here in Tucson. Uh, and and actually were a little bit politically active before you uh, went off to California. Can you talk a little bit about that just to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my, my family's been in Arizona since 1905 when great-great-great-granddad uh, came down to farm cotton in the Phoenix Valley. And uh, I grew up in Tucson, a uh, graduate of Kenyon Doro High School, and was a reporter for the Arizona Republic until leaving daily journalism and 2003, and yes, you're right, I, I did uh, uh, do some politics in Arizona um, as a field organizer for uh, then candidate for Congress, Gabrielle Giffords. And uh, I also worked on uh, two of her other campaigns and then also in the um, messy, terrible aftermath of the events of January 8th, uh, 2011. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, so first of all, I have to say go Cabs. Is Kenyon Del Oro. Uh, but, Actually, that's, uh, that's the Dorados to you, buddy. Oh, it's Dorados. So who are the Caballeros? Is that Catalina? Oh, man. I, no, I, I forgot my mascots. You know, it's, it's too bad I'm not sitting in front of a machine that I can just type in stuff and it will give me information. Well, I was a sports intern at the Arizona Daily Star covering uh, high school hoops. So, you know, I really should have this stuff practically tattooed on my memory. But yeah. um, sadly, I don't. I can tell you that Amphi sucks, however. Um, well, that, that you know, we'll, we'll let that go. Um, <laughs> but um, so first of all, so so your your current book is uh, a series of essays. Uh, am, I, am I correct? Correct. It's called uh, The National Road, Dispatches from a Changing America, and these are essays about American geography. Um, yeah, so, so could you just talk a little bit about 
your your process. I, I know that. I mean, I, I was following your your little your posting that you were doing while you were hiking the Arizona Trail. So I know that you kind of can do this travel thing. Is that is that what a lot of what this was? Was did you actually consciously go out on a long ride across America and and write this or? No, this these, these are sort of. Uh, tidbits from over time uh, i my journalism career took me around the country to um uh, regional newspapers uh, i got to know the united states uh, in a way that i never thought that i would um uh, lived all over it and in the course of that discovered that uh, you know not only is this an extraordinarily beautiful country but also one where geography is a bit determinative in the way that we think about culture and politics in ways that are surprising. And I keep being drawn to the notion of place. I mean, we've, oddly enough, I mean, we've talked about Gabrielle Giffords already. After the national media swooped into Tucson after that event, um, and there was so much obvious and necessary focus on, you know, the the guy who did it, uh, the background of those who were involved, uh, the biography of Gabrielle herself. You know, I found myself weirdly drawn to um, that shopping center at the corner of Ina and Oracle, which most of the listeners are going to be familiar with. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a place that I've known since I was a kid. I remember I'm old enough to remember when it was the old Nanini Financial Center. Um, and the, the, the kind of strange land development patterns that uh, caused it to be that way and how it was a, a unique product of Tucson, but yet it's also b- bland monoculture in, in terms of a super conventional um, corner strip mall. We're, we're familiar with this architectural vernacular in Tucson, um, as, as they are in Phoenix, uh, as they are in Dallas, you know, as they are in Orange County, California, and also in, you know, uh, yeah, any Sunbelt uh, geography. And, you know, that it happened there represented that event in a way that I still to this day find hard to describe, but it's still quite compelling. And it, it, it sounds horrible to talk about it this way because, you know, I lost a friend in that shooting, Gabe Zimmerman, a mm-hmm. wonderful guy. Um, yeah, yeah. He was the one who taught me how to field organize, actually, um, when, when I did that for Gabrielle in um, Cochise County. Uh, not to mention the, the others that were uh, killed and wounded and Gabrielle herself, who, um, you know, uh, will, will, will never be the quite the person that she was, which is an extraordinary loss um, for those who knew her on a personal level. And also, of course, politically, that she was just an extraordinary person to be in a, a, a position um, to, to, to affect the course of the nation that that was taken from us is a, a horrible, horrible thing. Yeah. I mean, you, you talk about um, geography being determinative. I, I heard a, interview with an author and I, I wish I could remember the name of the author or the book, but it was a talked about the geology of the South um, that, you know, that certain areas had cert- ended up with certain kinds of soils because of millions of years of things that had happened. And that those are, those ended up being the counties that are now 
majority black and have high rates of poverty and all of this. And it's because of the economy that developed because of that geology and so on and so forth. And, and I, I think there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that, uh, that don't seem to appreciate that, that, that we think, you know, we saw this kind of, uh, I don't, I don't know if you can call it manifest destiny or not, that if we show up at a place, we can make it look and act like it was wherever we came from. <laughs> and it doesn't ever work that way, you know? Right. I mean, when seen through the lens of politics, which is, of course, not the only lens that you should look at your own country, it's, just, it's but one facet. You know, we can look at the 59 counties in this country that went hard for Joe Biden and see that that's primarily financial services, um, information, um, higher education, you know, those counties skew in a particular direction when it comes to where the money comes from. And those, you know, thousands of counties that went more lightly populated that went hard for Donald Trump, you know, those are uh, agriculture, um, dwindling manufacturing, mining, um, these kinds of... um, Industries, and this is what I found particularly compelling about it, uh, that are really tied to place, that really root um, the practitioners of those businesses, like in uh, specific situations where you're really not moving. Um, Those counties that went for Biden tended to be um, mobile, flexible, able to work from home where uh, geography was, was, was less of a magnet factor and where it was that you were spending your work day or laying your head at night, you know, you could work anywhere. And, you know, this dichotomy between being fastened in place versus being able to float about, um, there, there, there's really something going on there uh, about uh, famously the two Americas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and also, I mean, it, you know, it must be noted with, with what you just said. I mean, those are, those tend to be those economies of those. And I, I hesitate to use rural areas because, you know, there's also this kind of third thing that's going on where you have these uh, exurban um, locales that really aren't tied to a, a rural economy at all that, you know, have their own political thing, but but the rural economy, it's also extractive, which means the money doesn't stick around. Right. There, there is a, a colonial aspect to uh, absentee wealth in these counties. Um, the way that wage stagnation um, has famously um, kept the, the, the American economy from really flourishing and really developing a healthy middle class. You know, the, the, as you, you use the right word, Todd, I mean, the, the, the extraction of uh, the hard wealth away from these places uh, creates a sense of, you know, helplessness, of uh, entrapment, of suspicion and cynicism. Yeah, well, when you, you get to those, those kinds of communities also, I mean, you, you go back and you look at, you know, newspapers and photographs or whatever records there are of, you know, life in, in small, in a small town. I mean, you find out that there, I mean, I I think at one point, you know, like Florence, right. I mean, not, not a bustling spot by any means. I mean, they once had three newspapers. 
you know, and, and these, and these towns also, also, you know, they would have, you know, a local marching band or, you know, an opera house or, or something. I mean, you know, all these kind of cultural things and, and you don't see that anymore. Well, Florence is, is, is an interesting case. I mean, it's famously the uh, home of the historic Arizona State Penitentiary, which it won um, uh, in, in the, your brother would probably know the exact year. Maybe you do too. Uh, in the early 20th century, it won the big house, right? Yeah. The, 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 the brownstone barn that we think of Florence as a prison town. And we've shamefully given uh, contracts to a couple of, uh, private entities. Uh, that's where there's a massive penal archipelago to house uh, undocumented uh, migrants uh, in preparation for their deportation in ways that I think are really um, cruel. Um, but what we shouldn't forget about Florence is, you know, it, it, it once had a really thriving economy uh, based on agriculture, and that was like a boom town because of the Gila River, uh, because they managed to grow. Um, an astonishing uh, array of crops, and there was uh, an immense amount of political power uh, in Florence. Uh, Governor uh, Eugene McFarland uh, mm -hmm. came from there, um, as, as, as well as uh, being almost a, a counterweight to Phoenix. And, and actually, this notion of Arizona geography, if I could kind of maybe talk about a little work in progress, um, I, I, I'm now hopefully getting close to finishing um, a book about Arizona geography called uh, tentatively Rim to River, looking into the heart of Arizona. And this is for the U of A press. And it's 14 essays about the Grand Canyon state uh, held together with a narrative scaffolding of this crazy border to border walk that I did in uh, 2019, uh, mostly along the route of the Arizona trail, uh, which is of course our version of the Appalachian trail. Like I got off of it a few times, but mainly down that spine. All right. I'm bringing this up because I'm working on uh, an essay. I said earlier that politics is only one facet of life and that you shouldn't think of that as like the sole, you know, refraction through which you experience life. What a dreary life that would be. Um, but you, you can't really talk about Arizona without talking about its politics. And so I've got an essay in there about the Arizona State Capitol and the way that business is really transacted under that, what used to be a copper painted dome. Um, and the, the culture of lobbying that goes on there. That's one of them. Another one I'm working on, which is what I'm kind of getting at here is about the streak of insanity that um, has been a part of our civic life. Um, since the, this kind of streak of craziness that um, uh, really came from the disintegration of what you might call the Goldwater consensus of post-war Arizona, the idea that we were going to be a low-tax, low-service um, economy that focused on bringing in out-of-state concerns, primarily um, high-tech jobs, and that we weren't going to give a lot of attention to um, unions, um, the kind of stable jobs that um, would have allowed for more uh, racial parity, for more economic parity, this narrative of personal liberty, that what we have now is kind of a Kelly Ward paranoia, 
mm-hmm. mirrored in the rest of America, of course, but we kind of got there first. You know, I, I argue that Arizona paved the way for Donald Trump in many ways. Um, you, you, you and I are both old enough to remember the, the nuttiness of Ev Meekum. Mm-hmm. You know, this, um, uh, it's not even really conservatism. It's, it, it's a kind of a, uh, uh, an ethno-nationalism. And we, we saw this in Arizona. Okay, and here's what I'm building up to say, is that this essay, uh, I'm, I'm also talking about um, the, the greatest threat to the kind of paranoid Anglo rule that we've seen in both houses of our legislature is epitomized by this insane audit that's happening in um, the Coliseum in Phoenix, what I remember as that house on McDowell, the nickname given to it by legendary Phoenix Suns announcer Al McCoy, uh, that that really comes from um, kind of a geography, actually, that rural Arizona is, is largely deep red. And so I've been spending some time in a place called Golden Valley, which is this artificial, it's not even a town, it's a census-designated area to the northwest of Kingman that got started as a bit of a land scheme. And so these unimproved lots were were, were sold off mainly through the mail in the 1960s. And what you have out there is an aging population, almost exclusively white, not very well off, median income of about $39,000 a year. And that really provides uh, an example of, I think, what's a rural Arizona consensus of extreme liberty, of um, extreme interpretation of the Second Amendment, of suspicion of uh, ethnicities, all that. Now, the greatest challenge to this comes through organization on the part of uh, Arizona's long-neglected, long-abused uh, Latino uh, minority, which is growing in strength, growing in political confidence. A lot of this comes as a reaction to SB 1070. So it's that kind of Hegelian um, synthesis, you know, thesis and antithesis synthesis that we saw uh, organization like we've never seen before. Uh, younger Latino leaders you know, helped kick Russell Pierce out of office. They were indispensable to that effort. They helped get rid of Joe Arpaio. Almost unthinkable, but they did it. All right. This is a, a, a counterweight to that, you know, streak of Anglo paranoia in the Arizona character. And there's another artificial town that, and this is just sort of the, I suppose, the sausage making of, this is maybe the sausage making of how you, you know, how a book comes together, but trends um, usually require a human face. And, you know, someone who I think is extremely interesting is um, Representative Raquel Turan of Douglas, who is now, as you know, Ted, the chair of the um, uh, Democratic Party. And, you know, she uh, got um, energized by uh, SB 1070, you know, by the Sensenbrenner bill, when we saw those, you know, huge protests in uh, Phoenix in 2007, 
you know, that was the beginning of her political awakening. She had previously set out to become a teacher, a social worker, and, you know, now she's in the legislature. And there are others like Raquel. Um, and, and so, you know, these are two groups, the, the, the paranoid aging Anglos and, you know, the, the, the young energized Latinos that provide, you know, it's not, that's not the only thing politically going on in Arizona, obviously, but I think those are two major forces that uh, are in this really uneasy uh, dialogue with each other, if, if you can even call it that, you know, uh, can these two groups form coalitions and govern in a consensus way? And, and, and uh, the uh, famous way that parliamentary democracy is supposed to happen. I don't know that it can, you know, this, this, this is, um, these are two hard forces in Arizona politics and the dance, the, the, the circling that they're doing of each other um, is, is really indicative of a lot of what's going to come out of Arizona. You know, um, and I mean, those are all amazing points actually, you know, and, 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 you know, you noted and Raquel is a personal friend and I'm, I was very happy when she, I've, I've actually been able to watch her rise, which has been really nice. But, um, you know, you, you touched on, on, on the questions of geography in Arizona and something that, that uh, when I've talked to people who, who study this have, have noted with me is, and, and, and you can either, you know, you, know, you can elaborate or, or disabuse me of this notion, but that, that rural Arizona is very different than, uh, it, it, you know, than, than, than rural populations in other states where, you know, you, you know, you mentioned Douglas, you mentioned Florence, um, but, you know, and those are kind of the traditional rural communities that you would find in other parts of the country where their, their economy is, is tied in with, a rural economy. Um, but, you know, we've had, you know, but there's also a lot of our, of our discussions of, of rural areas in Arizona are dominated by places like, so places like maybe Sierra Vista or Green Valley or um, the, 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 the place that you mentioned, Golden Valley, that are, are, are disconnected from anything that we would normally call a rural economy. Um, and even you know, I mean, the the the, the community that's most uh, representative of this for me is Anthem. I mean, Anthem isn't. I mean, is a. I mean, it's a little uh, spot that's far away from Phoenix, but it's not. It's really tied more to the Phoenix economy than any sort of rural economy. I mean, is that? I mean, is that your view of of how rural Arizona looks as well? Well, yeah, I, I mean, Anthem is, 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 is this horrific blob of, <laughs> you know, the master plan, quote unquote, community that uh, probably should not exist. You know, that, that's, that's like the old Arizona story is for uh, a big developer and in, in, in Anthem's case, a corporate, you know, out-of-state corporate developer, developer finding, you know, land that had been cons agricultural land, quote unquote, like ranching, grazing uh that are sometimes augmented with a couple of you know state trust land swaps um that have previous previously been considered worthless and you know you prove out enough groundwater and 
and you subdivide the lots and you you make gangbusters money that way that's that's you know that that's our version of a gold rush mm-hmm. all right um with with raquel Turan, the geography there i just found kind of curious and i'm not i'm not quite sure what it means but you know she comes from uh agua prieta douglas which you know on the u.s side was also an artificial town and by say artificial um not to disparage douglas but just to point out that its origins were as a smelter location for phelps dodge that it was created out of thin air almost you know um I'm less familiar with the, the origin story of Agua Prieta, but I can only imagine that, you know, um, a, a lot of their uh, prosperity is rooted in Maquiladoras, you know, the uh, manufacturing that takes place on the border for reasons of economic convenience, that it's, it's, a, it's a traditional border economy, quite like that of uh, Tijuana or uh, Nogales, Sonora, right? And so, you know, her what's the word milieu you know that that she emerged from is also indicative of a particular kind of a tradition in arizona which you know that was the the copper economy that was the out-of-state corporate um you know kind of colonialism there's really no other word for it that you know use natural resources um you know, move in uh, cheap labor and um, set up uh, a, a fiefdom. And so Raquel now represents South Phoenix, also a really interesting uh, geography, uh, formerly rural, uh, small hold farms, so forth, such as my great great granddad used to run. Um, but also uh, a really neglected part of Phoenix, only incorporated down there in 1960. And some of the reports um, that I've come across, primary sources, you know, really describe it in pretty horrific terms as, as social conditions, very bad uh, slums, bad housing, so forth, uh, civic neglect, redlining, voter suppression. Famously, it was the... Um, uh, the venue for what was called Operation Eagle Eye, headed up oh, by yes, that. I remember. I've I've read about that. Actually, talk, tell a little bit about that. Uh, well, the uh, Phoenix Republican um, power structure was always suspicious of South Phoenix because those are going to be Latinos and African Americans who are going to vote Democrat. So the idea um, of vote suppression is not new to. Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy, you know, um, they were doing poll intimidation, old South kind of techniques. And this was in the late 50s, early 60s. And one of the really enthusiastic proponents of this was a young attorney named William Rehnquist, mm-hmm. who'd later become, of course, the Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. And, you know, it's just sort of classic. Uh, let's 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 throw a bunch of scary looking white people around the polling places and check IDs, um, try and scare people away, you know, make sure that those South South Phoenix precincts don't give in big returns for democratic candidates. I'd like to thank you for uh, agreeing to talk to me. I'm, 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 you're going to need to write another book soon because it'll give me an excuse to do this again with you. Um, But uh, thank you for coming on. 
Thanks. I hope to be uh, back in Tucson uh, very shortly. And uh, this has been a great honor to uh, to talk to you. Well, thank you. Thank you, Tom, for coming on the show. Words and Work is a production of Downtown Radio and the National Writers Union Tucson chapter. Um, for the parts of the interview that I could not uh, broadcast, uh, we'll be posting those over the week on the Words and Work webpage. Uh, you can find that at anchor.fm slash ted hyphen Przelski, P-R-E-Z-E-L-S-K-I. Um, and there are also old episodes on there. Uh, he talked about Lydia Otero in the interview. Um, and uh, my interview with her is already posted. You can check it out there. Thank you. I'll see you all next week.